think everyone knows that I like a, you know, an interesting idea turned business. But my advice is I think if you raise the right person from the dead, it can be like a one-time thing. Like that's a million dollar job for sure. She should be charging millions. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, hello. Welcome again to our Keep It Fictional book chat. I'm here today with my book friends, Liz, Fiona, Sadie, and Corinne. Today's episode is uh, part one of two, because we realize that sometimes we talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Maybe we should split this up a little bit. This is the episode where we talk about the books that we are looking forward to reading in the next four months. So books that are coming out from May to August. And we're each going to pick five books. That was super hard. I'm still trying to decide, as Liz knows. I, I love these episodes because it's always so exciting to see what everybody picks. And then, of course, that means that my to-be-read list is going to grow because when people talk about books that they'll give watch, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. I want to read that too. Um, so I'm very curious to see what everybody ends up picking. And knowing all of us, I think we're going to have very, very different, 25 very different diverse choices for everybody out there. Um, so hopefully you'll find something that you enjoy too. And please do let us know if there are books that you have put on hold that are on order, that you're waiting to read. Please let us know in the comments. We'd love to know what books you are waiting to read too. All right. So. We have lots of books to talk about, so let's get to it. And just for the ease of my brain, I'm just going to go with the very artificial alphabetical order so I don't mess up. So, Miss Corrine. Yeah, the bane, the bane of my life of someone with whose first name starts with a C and whose last name starts with B. Unless you're doing reverse alphabetical, I've got no chance of winning. No chance of winning. So what have you got for us as the first book? Well, again, this was very difficult to pick because I feel like there's a lot of really awesome books coming out over kind of like the summer month. It's always a good, good crop of new books. So I decided to uh, pick a couple of debuts and then a couple in like my favorite genres. And the first one that I want to talk about is a debut novelist. It's one from across the pond. It's one that I think is going to be a sweet, heartwarming read that is like perfect for any reader. And it is Sarah Nisha Adams' The Reading List. It is, of course, a book about books and the power to change people's lives. So, of course, it's right up my alley. Um, it centers around a widower named Makesh who is living a very quiet life in West London after the death of his wife. Um, with him lives his granddaughter, Priya, who spends all of her time locked in her room reading books and... Murkesh finds this very strange, finds it very weird. He would prefer to watch a nature documentary, but he also would really like to connect with his granddaughter. On the other side, there is Alicia, who is a young, bored teen who works at her local library over the summer. And in an old copy of To Kill a Mockingbird, she finds a list of books. And she kind of takes her eyes over these. There's books that she has never heard of before, books that she has never encountered. And so since she is bored and has nothing to do, she decides to spend her summer reading through this list of books that she has mysteriously found. Well, who happens to walk into Alicia's library? But it is Makesh who has decided that he's going to try and read some of the books that his granddaughter is reading so maybe they would have something to talk about. He comes into the local library, sees Alicia, and Alicia decides to pass along this reading list to this older gentleman in the hopes that reading through these books will change his life in the same way that it changed her life. I am thinking that this is going to be charming, wonderful, heartwarming, a fantastic debut. I love a book about books. I love that it is a British author of Indian descent. I think it's going to be a fantastic read for everyone who loves a good story. So that is my first pick, The Reading List. 
Thank you, Miss Corinne. Very on brand. Nice, charming, sweet for book lovers. Sometimes you just need a nice, sweet book about books. Oh, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. It's like Corinne's pendulum, right? She's got to go back and forth from like murder, sweet murder. <laughs> it really is. It pretty much goes bouncing from one to the other. And then I think it eventually kind of evens out a little bit. A little bit. So what's in the middle between murder and... It's a YA murder mystery because they're they're pretty murdery, but they're not too grisly and they're usually hopeful. So it just kind of is that nice Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Fiona, what is your first pick? All right, I've got one I'm super excited for. One of my favorite YA authors, uh, Julie Murphy has a third book in her series. I'm not sure what you call a series when it's like, it's basically the same town. So it's different characters in the same town. And this one is called Pumpkin. And so it is number three of the Dumplin' series, um, which uh, recently got a Netflix film. That was really sweet, and I love the second one. Love it so much. And so this one is going to center on Waylon, who is an out gay teen. And like Murphy's, um, most of Murphy's characters, he's fat. Um, it's something that I really, it's just sort of like a niche thing for her. Uh, her character, she writes fat characters. Um, and it's just something that you don't always think about in representation. And I really love reading about these characters who own that. Um, and it's just a part of them. But uh, he's also, yeah, he's out. And I guess there's some sort of thing where he gets joke nominated for um, Prom Queen, um, but he's going to take it really seriously. So I'm very excited for that. Thank you, Fiona. All right, Liz, what is your first pick? this first book, I think um, it will be really emotionally evocative, as Corinne likes to say, as part of my branding, I guess, my reading branding. Um, And it also appeals to me, not only because of that, but because it is also uh, touted as a semi-autobiographical coming-of-age story. And this one is called Rainbow Milk, and it's by Paul Mendez. Now, this book originally came out in the UK, and it takes place in the UK. Um, A Jamaican immigrant family came to that country in the 1950s. And now uh, we see a millennial named Jesse, who is 19, who still lives in the UK, but he is struggling with uh, his racial as well as sexual identity. And on top of that, he is also feeling in conflict with the teachings of the religion that he was brought up in, which was Jehovah's Witness. He decides to get a fresh start moving away from his economically depressed community to the big city of London. Sadly, Jesse falls into sex work and he is looking for a fresh start, but in the wrong places. And he kind of gets into this cycle of um, destructive behavior while trying to find himself. I don't know where the story will go. That's why it's on my list, because I really want to know what happens to Jesse um, and how he hopefully overcomes his struggles. This book talks about so many different um, intersecting issues facing a lot of young people, especially today. But it's been very, very well reviewed as a first work by Paul Mendez. A note for anybody who may be considering reading this, it has been noted that the sexual content in this book can be quite graphic. However, the overall sentiment is that it is an incredibly moving story that has a lot of heart. Um, So if that is not something that will bother you, then um, perhaps you may also wish to check out Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendez. Thanks, Liz. Another fairy list book. We like, like Corinne said, you know, some days we just need some books that are like perfect for us. And there's always going to be a few that comes out that we're like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. So Sadie, do we have a book that is a very Sadie book? Um, it, it fills some of the Sadie 
categories. Um, this book is the last book of a series that um, I have read most of. I haven't actually caught up with this series yet, um, but it is the Seven Sisters series and it's by Lucinda Riley. And um, the premise of the series is that there is a family that has six sisters. They were all adopted by um, a gentleman named Paws. They refer to him as Paws Salt. And at the very beginning of the first book of the series, they all learn that Paw has died. And they're all brought back to their family home um, where they were raised like beautiful, very wealthy, never never lacked for anything in their lives and are all brought back to this family home um, to say goodbye to Pa. And when they get there, they find that each of them has been left a letter from Pa and an item. And the item comes from where they were kind of adopted from. And so it is a clue to help them discover what their past is, discover who their original family, um, who their parents were. And each of them, each of the books follows a different sister as she decides to go on this journey or decides not to go on this journey to find out what her past is. Um, now, the interesting thing about this last book, which is called The Missing Sister, is that there were only six of them and they are named after the seven uh, sisters star cluster the Pleiades and they always wondered where the seventh sister was so they always assumed one by one these um these children were adopted and brought into this home and they always figured that there would be a seventh sister because to complete the star cluster to complete that storyline there needed to be a seventh sister but she never appeared and so this book not a lot is being said about it. All is um, that is being said is that you will finally get to hear the story of Merope or Merope. I'm not sure how, how that is pronounced. Um, the final story of the final sister who is the missing sister. So I'm very curious um, kind of how they take that, how, how the story goes. Um, if there is in fact uh, another sister that has been kind of there all along, or if uh maybe they have to go out and find someone and there's there's always somewhat of a kind of a magical realism mystical kind of element um to these stories where you kind of get the idea that um pa was he had an idea the entire time that everyone was meant to be brought together everyone was sort of meant to be brought into this place and um so you kind of just wonder what what role the seventh sister is going to play. So I'm very excited to see, to see what, uh, what role they are going to play and how, how they kind of draw the story together and pull the story together um, and how it ends, how it all kind of comes together in the end. So that is The Missing Sister by Lucinda Riley. Now, does it actually end though? Because there could be more missing sisters. <laughs> I feel like at least for this one, there's because they're trying to complete the star cluster and there's already the six stars. So in this particular one, there's only one more, I think. But there are many other constellations. So maybe maybe there's other. That's right. Yeah. The <laughs> cousins. <laughs> exactly. Who knows? I'll let you know, Virginia. I'll let you know if they leave it on some. Like... Right. It's not like the alphabet one. Like, you know, once you get to set, it's like you're kind yeah. of done. You yeah. can't really go on. But yeah. mm, lots of yeah. constellations, like Sadie said. <laughs> that's awesome. Great. Thank you. Well, that's a pretty Sadie book, I think. All right. So for my first book, I'm also going to do a very Virginia book. Like I said, it's one of those books that like you read it, you're like, yeah, that's the book that I'm going to have to read. This is inspired by Fiona's question a couple of weeks ago when she asked us about comfort read. And I feel like this, yeah, this is my comfort read. And you're like, that's not comforting at all, but that's totally comforting for Virginia. And this is The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Bowman. This is a horror author usually, but um, this is his first fantasy debut. And I'm really looking forward to it because it sounds like it's everything that I need from a book. Perfect for people who love epic fantasy, already got high praises from a lot of his fellow writers. They call the story fast, fun, and filled with like crazy magic. They call the protagonist witty, irreverent, and sardonic, which is my type of protagonist. And it's basically mayhem hijinks all around. So our main character is Kinch Nash. Neck. He is a thief that has a huge student loan 
because when he learned to be a thief, he went, I guess this thief school that you go to, he has, of course, incurred a lot of student loans. So he has a huge debt that he has to pay back. Um, and that helps, I guess, if you're a thief, you can steal things and pay back your debt. I don't know. But one day, this is a story of how one day he picked the wrong mark and gets tangled up with a knight. A knight who is a war veteran from the goblin wars, because there's goblin fighting, apparently. And since the war, the night, she has been looking for her missing queen. Her queen has been missing and she's been wandering around trying to find her queen. And now Kinch is going to have to join her in her search for this missing queen in order to pay back his debt. I don't know much more about the book. I heard that there's going to be giants. There are going to be these battle ravens. There's going to be krakens that want to kill you. There's going to be something called the murder alphabet, which I'm very, very curious about. And there's going to be an assassin that can kill you with his tattoos. Like I said, full of all the things that I want from a fantasy. And so I don't have to wait for too long. This book is coming out in May. So again, it is The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Bielman. Very you. Very, very you. Again, we need one of those. So yeah, this is one of those. I'm like, yeah, I think this is my book. Need to go read it. So... All right. Well, thank you for the first round of books. I think those are all very, very different and very exciting. Um, so what do we have next, Corinne? Where are you going to take us to? Which which side of the pendulum? We're swinging to the other side. We're taking a, a hard swing to the other side. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my next book was technically actually published in 1987, but is getting a brand new Life, I guess, uh, being published in English once more. I am talking about Liz and mine's favorite imprint, Pushkin Vertico. They are coming out with a beautifully designed cover and new edition of the Decagon House Murders. So this is about a group of students who form the University Mystery Club, which sounds rad. And I really wish we had one. Um, when I was going to university, because I obviously would have joined it. However, this little club decides to take a field trip to the house where a series of grisly murders happened in the past. Which, no. <laughs> no. And because they tempt fate, well, obviously, as soon as they go over to this house to have their little field trip, one by one, they start getting picked off and horribly murdered. Because obviously that's going to, what is going to happen when you set yourself up like this. But the students have to decide whether there's just a madman on the loose who is attacking them in this house or whether what is happening in the present has some connection to the murders that happened in the past. It promises to be twisty and turny. It is a locked room mystery, which I always love. Uh, the reviews have kind of hearkened it to one of those golden age mysteries where it gives you all the clues and only if you are able to kind of pick up on all of them, you can solve it before the students. Um, I am super excited uh, to read more uh, mysteries that have been translated uh, from the Japanese. The author is Yukito Ayatsuji. And just look at that cover. Look at that cover. It's so good. It's so good. So I cannot wait to get my hand, um, magenta or not, on a copy of this book. Lock Room Mystery is one of my favorite things. I love it. I love it so much. It's so good. It's so good. I never solve them unless it involves dry ice. I always think it's a dry ice scenario. Always. Um but I'm, I'm super excited for this because, yeah, it, it's always very cool seeing like a mystery trope in like, like a new place or a new setting or seeing what someone does with an old trope to kind of bring it up to bring it up to the present. So it should be great. Yeah. There's something very charming about like sort of the old school traditional mystery story. Yeah, I strongly agree. I think it's why I don't read as much contemporary crime fiction because it often focuses on the villain, whereas usually like a golden age focuses on the detective and trying to solve it rather than like giving you the point of view of the killer who I don't care about because they're a bad person. All right. Thank you, Corinne. Um, Fiona, what have you got for us? Yes. Uh I've got a graphic novel. Uh, so my next two picks are actually graphic novels. So I've been, you know, kind of avoiding them lately and, and going back to where I'm comfortable. Um, 
So uh, this is a new graphic novel from Alison Bechtel, uh, uh, Fun Home and Dykes to Watch Out For. So it's pretty exciting. I don't know that she's done anything recently. She had a follow-up to Fun Home that I honestly, I didn't make it through. Um, so I am excited about this. Uh, it is called The Secret to Superhuman Strength. And apparently it is about her obsession with workout fads, uh, which is just a really interesting, you know, you know so much about her and her childhood from Fun Home, but workout fads did not feature in that. So I'm really curious to, to, to fill in those gaps. And uh, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of other details on it other than that. So kind of a new leaf for her to turn over. We'll see what happens. I, I can't wait. That's quite a zag from previous, like previous works. But I guess like when you've kind of laid your entire soul bare and all of your history and all your family history, like what, where do you go from there? Maybe it'll be a nice light read about workout fads. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe she'll find a way to make it really intense. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that that will all be one that was also on your, your list. Because you're also a graphic novel fan. I haven't I haven't read any of her work actually so maybe maybe I should get back on my to be read list but there's so many more books now I don't know what to do okay so tell us one that you you're going to read instead okay okay well um this is probably going to be another wheelhouse kind of pick and it is called the Woman in the Purple Skirt, and it's by Natsuko Imamura. It was translated to English from Japanese by Lucy North. And um, this one caught my eye because it's been billed as being for fans of Otessa Moshfen, who wrote My Year of Rest and Relaxation. So kind of that quirky sort of a book. Uh, and also if you like films like Parasite, and Rear Window. I mean, what kind of a mashup is that? Um, to top it off, it's been called playful and creepy and suspenseful and voyeuristic. Checks so many boxes for me. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Now the narrator of this book is the woman in the yellow cardigan, all those words being capitalized. That is her name, more or less in this telling. And she is watching, also capitalized, the woman in the purple skirt of the title. Now, uh, yellow cardigan feels that purple skirt is very similar to her. They're both single women of modest means, and so she feels a kinship with her, even though she doesn't know her at all. Now, her interest is so keen that she monitors purple skirt's movements. She knows when she goes on the subway to do whatever she is doing during the day. Um, she knows that she lives alone. She knows where she lives, um, but she doesn't reveal herself to Purple Skirt. So she is essentially kind of stalking her, being a voyeur. Now, she knows that Purple Skirt kind of has a lot of free time on her hands. So Yellow Cardigan sets it up so that uh, Purple Skirt sees a job posting for a housekeeper at a hotel which happens to be the same hotel where uh, Yellow Cardigan works as a housekeeper. What do you know? Well, it ends up that Purple Skirt applies for and gets the job. And then she ends up having an affair with the boss. So she's been elevated from this woman who nobody really paid attention to, to somebody who is in the midst of a relationship, right in the place of work where Yellow Cardigan goes to work. So at this point, Yellow Cardigan is feeling unnoticed and neglected. And she's not too happy about that because now the two women's lives are diverging. So I'm pretty excited um, to see where this story goes. Playful and creepy sounds about right. It seems like it doesn't take itself too seriously. So I am looking forward to The Woman in the Purple Skirt by Natsuko Imamura. After your description, I can generally think of not the woman, just the purple skirt walking around and the yellow cardigan. They're long, they're long names. Yeah. So they've been boiled down to one piece of clothing age. 
I love it. I want to have a story that is just clothes. But what if they change clothing? Like, I assume it's not the same purple skirt day after day. But it might be like Steve Jobs that only has like the black turtleneck. So we have just 10 of them. Signature look. Maybe? I'll let Mm -hmm. you know. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) This is too creepy for Korean, I think. Yeah, I can see from her face. It doesn't help that I'm wearing a yellow shirt either. And I'm just like, oh, stop it. No. Because <laughs> you have a yellow cardigan, right? You and Fiona both have I a yellow sure cardigan. I sure do. Yeah. Seems to get a purple skirt for you. <laughs> I would start start paying attention, Kareen, to all the people who are wearing purple skirts around you. Yeah. yeah. See who I can see from my little window. All right. Well, thank you, Liz. All right, Sadie, do you have any clothing involved in your title or your don't think i'm not involved in the title i don't think clothing comes too much into play um in this next book uh so this is a new author to me and i believe that this is their first book and it definitely fits into my ya urban fantasy type of uh, genre uh, that i love so much um so this book is called bad witch burning by jessica lewis and it um, follows the story of Catrell. And Catrell has the ability to speak to the dead. And um, Catrell has used this ability, uh, or has at least tried to use this ability to make money. They are unfortunately not doing very good. Her mom's deadbeat's boyfriends are always taking their money. Her mom is unemployed, and so she doesn't make a lot of money. And so it's sort of left to Catrell to support the two of them and whatever boyfriend of the week um, is currently there. And so she's tried to turn this ability of hers to talk to the dead into a business, but it does not really make a ton of money. It really doesn't. Um, People will pay her to speak to the dead on their behalf and kind of have these conversations back and forth, but it doesn't really doesn't really do much. But then uh, during one summoning, Cottrell, instead of just speaking with the dead accidentally i'm curious how the accident happens actually raises someone from the dead and this she discovers is actually quite a lucrative business so this she is learning might be the way to make more money and to bring more money into her home however along with this accidental uh, raising of the dead comes a warning that basically says, if you don't stop doing this, you will burn everything down. You will completely destroy everything. So it is sort of up to Cottrell at this point to make the choice if she's going to continue because it's the only way that her and her family can survive or if she's going to stop and try and find some other way to to feed them and to to house them. Um, and so I'm I'm very curious, kind of where where this story goes. Um, I think it definitely has in store a lot of uh, maybe a bit darker than I usually I usually read. Um, I've actually noticed that a lot of the books I've chosen this time have to do with ghosts and uh, dead bodies, which is not really in character for me, but, um, but we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. And if I actually do end up enjoying them. Um, so yes, I'm very excited about bad witch burning, um, to see exactly what Cottrell decides and who she will sacrifice in order to survive. That sounds excellent. I think everyone knows that I like, a you know, an interesting idea turned business, but my advice is I think if you raise the right person from the dead, it can be like a one-time thing. Like that's a million dollar job for sure. She should be charging millions. And then it's just one person. (laughs) So you'll have to get back to me about that, about how our finances. Yeah, I will. My my sense is that um, she doesn't go that direction. That's just my sense I'm getting, but I will let you know. I will definitely, yeah. (laughs) You'll know we'll write a sequel to that that will turn it into. Yes, yes. (laughs) Or like a guidebook. Guidebook to making money, raising the dead. Ooh, ooh, necromancy for dummies. Necromancy finances for dummies. (laughs) 
feel like it has to be necromancy financy for dummies because you have to have like the rhyming. We're all set. <laughs> but... Let's go write that book now. <laughs> Makes us some money. All right. Um, so the next book is also a YA book. It's also um, has the word witch in the title, just like Sadie's, um, a different kind of story. This I find that there's actually a lot of really interesting YA books that are coming out in the next few months. I'm really excited about many of them. And so it was really hard to pick, but I think I'm going to go with The Witch King by H.E. Etchmon. I believe this is also a debut novel. And it's the first book in a duology. It's coming out in June. So in this world, the Fae lives in a kingdom called Aslan, and it is right located in our world, in the human world, but it's kind of hidden from us. And this is a story of Wyatt, who is a trans witch. Now, witches in the world is born to Fae parents, but they are considered inferior because they don't have horns, they don't have wings, they have no control over their magic. And so many parents, when they found out that their babies are witches, they would just sort of abandon them. But Wyatt's parents didn't do that. Instead, they decided to betroth him to the Fae prince, the future heir to the kingdom with a blood contract. So Wyatt and Emir. They grew up together as childhood friends and they have, you know, they, they like each other. You know, they may have some feelings for each other even after a while. Um, but one night something horrible happened and Wyatt unleashes his magic upon the city and there was fire everywhere. And he fled to the human world because he didn't think that there would still be a place for him after what he did. And when he got to the human world, he was adopted by a human family who is fiercely protective of him. I think of the family as sort of like this warm blanket that is going to always keep you warm and safe. But Emir came to find him and Emir said, you know what, you need to come back with me to the kingdom because I have a kingdom to save. There is apparently another fae who's trying to vie for power and trying to take over the throne. And his name is Derek. And yes, their names are like human names. And they actually even talk about it in the book. This is a fae named Derek is going to take over the world, the, the fae kingdom. If Ymir can get Wyatt back and they're going to get married, they're going to secure their throne, they're going to secure their power. And Emir is basically completely ignoring the fact that Wyatt has transitioned. So, you know, like, but he's like, you know what? Doesn't matter. We are going to get married. We have a blood contract and we're just going to go back and you have to come back with him. But of course, Emir didn't realize that Wyatt now has people, has people in his corner. And that is Briar. Briar is the daughter of the human family that he has been living with. And Briar is like, well, I'm coming with you. And Emir is like, no, you're not. You are a human. I'm like, well, I don't care. If you are going to take Wyatt with you, then you're taking me along. And so all three of them travel back by plane, which is very weird. They travel to plane to the kingdom of Aslan. And the minute they landed, there were soldiers that show up and, and they arrested Wyatt and Briar, even though Emir promised that this is not going to happen. This is a light fantasy, I probably would say. Um, I think the focus, it sounds like it's more on that friendship story, maybe a little bit of romance even, but it's about Wyatt having to make those decisions about whether what is more important to him, is it freedom for himself or is it freedom for all the witches that live in the Fae world? Because the marriage, what the marriage is supposed to do is to sort of bring that divide together. So now that he's back in the land, he has to make that decision to figure out what is more important and what he's willing to sacrifice for the greater good, maybe. Sounds like it's going to book. It's going to be quite warm-hearted. It's it's it has got really positive representations of different diverse characters of different gender, different race, different body types. Um, and I think from all the reviews that I read so far, it was all very like it's supposed to be a story that is not going to gloss over the difficulties of a trans witch, but it is also going to be very sort of affirming in many ways. So I'm looking forward to this. And I think it got a really cool cover um, in my mind. And so this is The Witch King by H.E.H. Mon. All right. Ready for another round? Oof. Oof. Okay, this is our last, last round, right? Last round of this episode. 
last round for today. Yes. And then next week, we'll continue and tell you more books that we're looking forward to read. So, Corinne, for the last book of the day, what have you got? Okay. For my last book of this episode, I'm going to swing kind of slightly out of my pendulum area. Not a, a genre that I like, but I don't usually talk about on this podcast is I'm going to talk about a memoir. I know, it's weird. I know, Liz, it's a shocker. But the reason I am going to talk about this memoir is because I follow this writer on Twitter and I am constantly impressed with her writing. Like, it always just blows me out of the water. And um, I was kind of shocked to learn that this is actually going to be Ashley Seaford's debut. I think they have like, um, she has like a very long history of writing, but this is like the first, the first big chonky book that I can like hold in my hand and flip through pages and use a check as a bookmark. So I'm pretty excited and I, I'm really happy for her to be kind of like getting the buzz and recognition that I, I think she deserves. Um, so this is her story. So all of her life when she was really young, she really idolized her father. She always felt like the puzzle piece that didn't fit in her family. And so she always really connected with her father because he was artistic like her. He was sensitive like her. And so she has always felt this kinship with him and this, this understanding that she doesn't always feel with the rest of her family. The issue as she kind of grows older is that her father has been incarcerated and she doesn't know why. So she is going through her adult life with, with these pieces of herself missing. And as she kind of gets older, um, she starts to suffer from anxiety. As she goes through puberty, she starts to realize that society is viewing her in a slightly different way. She deals with sexual assault. She deals with this very fraught relationship with her mother. And she is kind of surmounting what society is putting on her as growing up poor, as growing up black, as growing up a black woman. So this is kind of her, her entire journey through her life and kind of the, the wisdom that she gleans, um, moving through society. And I cannot, I, I can't wait to see how her writing will kind of transform all of this because she's so incisive. She's so good. She's so honest. Um, I just really, really love everything when she puts pen to paper. So I'm very excited to read Somebody's Daughter, a memoir by Ashley C. What? There we go. Ashley C. Ford. It looks to be my favorite word for Liz books, emotionally evocative in many ways. Um, I think it's, it's really going to be a fantastic memoir where you're really just going to get, get to know a person, get to know their heart. So I'm very excited for that one. I love how you're channeling this. I'm not doing it as well. I just, I don't, I don't got that ability. No, I respect that, Corinne. I respect that. I respect yeah. you trying. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I try, I try, I fail. I'm like, it's, it's the person's life. It's going to be really good. Yeah, that one was, um, that one caught my eye too. For sure. It does look emotionally evocative, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. All right, Fiona, you got another graphic novel for us, I think. I do. And this one is uh, a graphic novel adaptation. So uh, it is a... Uh, junior novel by Jennifer L. Holm uh, that is getting a graphic novel. It is Turtle in Paradise. And I actually haven't read this one, but I love her book, um, The 14th Goldfish. So I like her writing style. I would love to read some of her other work. But the illustrator is also the illustrator who did Blue um, that I talked about in our food episode, which just like the art was the highlight for her. She just does beautiful, beautiful work. And so Turtle is the character that this book follows and she is 11 years old and her mom has recently gotten a job um, as a maid for someone who doesn't like kids. So Turtle is shipped off to Florida on her own to live with cousins uh, and everything there 
is different and unexpected. I think she's a bit of a shy character um, and it's sort of her coming out of her shell as she experiences this new place and it's kind of out on her own. So it sounds really delightful and I honestly, I love a graphic novel adaptation, like whether it's like a classic or something recent, uh, sort of feel the same way as I do about like film and television adaptations. Like even if you're bad, if, even if they're bad, you get like someone's vision of what this work would look like. And I really, really like that. It's super interesting that it's not uh, her brother doing the, <laughs> right? I was going to say, yeah. yeah like, interesting. That's not nice. <laughs> you have a brother who could do it. It's her brother. Oh, because he does her other stuff, right? Yeah, like, the baby mouse yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, the baby mouse and sunny side up. And and all of those. So why? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe he had his own projects. A mystery for us to find out. <laughs> it's called the library to do some research um, for us. All right, Liz, what is your next book? Okay, um, something a little bit different for me this time. Not, um, I guess, a genre I usually read. Uh, this one is called A Boring Wife Settles the Score, and it's by uh, Marie-Renée Lavoie, a Canadian writer. And uh, this one caught my attention because I really, really enjoyed her first book, which was called Autopsy of a Boring Wife. And in that book, um, it chronicled how she dealt with basically her husband taking up with a younger woman, and then that younger woman wanting to make friends with her and all this crazy stuff that happens um, with divorce. And Lavoie's writing was just so very like real and honest and by portraying things in a very realistic way, it just made you laugh. It just seems so absurd as Diane kind of dealt with this in her own quirky kind of a way. So Diane is back in... Uh, a boring wife settles the score, and so is her best friend, Claudine. And I kind of think of the two as like a Laverne and Shirley or sort of like an ab-fab kind of a couple. They're just, when they get together, they bring up the wine, they chat, they gossip, and they kind of push themselves to enjoy life. So Diane in this book is now 50, and she is also ready to date but unfortunately it's not as straightforward um, as she imagines it would be, shocker. Um, so if this book is anything like its predecessor, it'll be uh, an easy breezy, sassy kind of a read, chaotic as we look at Diane trying to navigate this newfangled world of social media and, and dating and just all these, all these things that can go wrong in the very charming Diane way that will hopefully be good for a chuckle because um, you can't help but want to root for Diane. So again, that's A Boring Wife Settles the Score by Marie-Renée Lavoie. Thank you, Liz. Wasn't that one of your favorite books of one of the years when you read the other one? Yeah, uh, when it came out, it was, uh, it was a surprise one for me because I don't, I don't usually gravitate towards, um, I guess, women's fiction. Um, but this one was just so charming. I just, I just couldn't help but want to pick up the second one. All right. Sadie, do we have a series? We do have a series. Uh, so this next uh, book is the fourth book of a series that I honestly didn't think was going to get another book in the series uh, because the first three wrapped up the story very, very nicely. And it is a YA mystery series. And the mystery was solved at the end of the series. And so it leaves you to wonder where else, um, where else will you go? Because the, the first three books focused very, very heavily on a specific mystery. Um, but then when I saw that a new book was coming out, I was very, very excited. So this is called The Box in the Woods uh, by Maureen Johnson. And it is the fourth book of the truly devious uh, mystery series. And so it is a YA mystery series that revolves around um, Stevie Bell. And Stevie Bell is an amateur detective and is 
coming off of quite a high at solving the truly devious uh, mystery that had been a cold case since the 1930s, I believe, 1930s. Um, And Stevie has solved the mystery. She solved the mysteries that continued to occur in the present day uh, that revolved around it as well. And now Stevie is home, bored for the summer. Um, she is not at uh, LNM Academy where all of these mysteries occurred. She is just back at home, not really having a very good time. But then she is contacted by the owner of a summer camp, a former summer camp. And they ask her to come up and investigate a cold case of the Box in the Woods murder. And so this murder uh, happened in 1978. And there were four camp counselors who were killed in the woods and their bodies were left in quite a gruesome display. And they're hoping that um, Stevie can come up and, and figure out what happened. And um, they're going to put this onto a podcast that is uh, being created about the case. So Stevie agrees. The only condition is that she is allowed to bring her friends along with her to help solve this case. Um, so they all sort of trek up to this old summer camp and um, start looking into the case. But of course, this case is not necessarily as cold as they might have thought. And uh, strange things start to happen once they get there. So I'm very excited about this. I really like uh, the way that Maureen Johnson writes uh, this mystery series. I really like Stevie as a protagonist. Um, she is deals with quite a bit of anxiety, um, which I think is a really interesting character to have as a protagonist that you don't always see. Um, and so you kind of have these these two sides of her being really confident and really um, knowledgeable and about her mystery side, but then also dealing with this um, kind of staggering anxiety on the other side and how she how she balances those two things and how um, her friends are there to support her. Uh, so I'm very excited to see what happens with Stevie next um, and if maybe this will turn into another set of books surrounding this mystery you never know you never know so that is The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson I have to say this one is thanks to Corrine um, she introduced me to this series uh, last year I think I read either last year or the year before maybe I read the first one and really really liked it so it's a great series I'm so glad that you chose to talk about it <laughs> It's good. It's really good. Has like just the right amount of creepy moments for me. It's it's uh, and I think that's kind of what you were saying with the YA mystery where it's uh yeah, you still kind of have those mystery elements but it's not too gruesome or horror focused, which I do struggle quite a bit with. Um so yeah, I think that it it has just the perfect amount of mystery and uh, spooky stuff in it for me. All right. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm going to end it on a very heavy note for my last book. <laughs> I don't know how it turns out that way, but it did. Um, so my last book is a little bit more heavy, but I think it's going to be one of those very eye-opening read, thought-provoking, um, because I know this author and they write amazing things. So this is the upcoming book by River Solomon, and it's called Sorrowland. And so River Solomon is the author of An Unkindness of Ghosts and also The Deep. Both of them talk about uh, racial identity, gender identity. I find that a lot of fiction really teaches me a lot of things and it helps me learn a lot of things. And, and that like they're one of those authors that does that for me. I think if you've never read River Solomon, one of the things you'll notice right away is the quality of writing. It is so good. Part of it is because the stories sometimes are like on a heavier subject. I feel like every sentence like like sort of punch you in the face, you know, in a, in a good way. It's just so good. I don't know how they can put the sentiments into just a few words and it's just the right, the perfect words to describe it. I, I love their writing. So I'm really excited about this. This is another very horrifying world that they are describing in the book. It is a story of Vern, who is a 15-year-old and she has just fled to the woods and has given birth to her two twins whom she named Howling and Fero. And Vern has lived all her life in a commune called the Blessed Acres of Cain. This is an all-Black community. And she has been taught all her life that the outside world is evil, 
that's full of white supremacy and how evil that is and the outside is bad for you, this is the only place that you should be. But Vern has decided that she has to leave. She has to take herself and her babies away from this place because she knows that all the things that she has been told are probably not true. Her husband, who is the reverend, the leader of the, as Corinne pointed out, they don't call it a cult, but I'm going to call it a cult, is spreading lies. All the things that he has been preaching are all lies. And so for the safety of her twins, she knew she's going to have to take them away. So she decided to live in the woods, away from the commune, away from the outside, and she's going to find a way to survive there. But of course, the commune is not just going to let her go so easily. So they're sending people after her to try to bring her back. And so she's juggling between surviving, between feeding her kids, trying to take care of them, and also trying to hide from these people that are coming after her. And as she is living in the woods, she realized that something is changing in her. There's something growing and she doesn't know what it is. And from the kind of things that she hear, the reason why she's leaving, she figures that if she needs to figure out what is happening to her, she might have to go to make contact with the outside. But she has no idea what is in store for her, what is going to be there. I think this is one of those stories that, again, like all their other books, it really defies genres. It, it talks a lot about systemic racism, marginalization, generational trauma. And what, what Vern is going to find is that there is not just a group of people that is against her, but it's a whole nation of people that is against her. Despite being a heavy topic from some of the reviews, I think they said that like you still feel hope in the end because you see this unstoppable force of burn. You see how she has the ability to transform, to break free, to defy everything, to protect herself and her family. And that is the hope that you will get and, and that there is, there is a possibility of change. So I am really looking forward to another River Solomon book. It's always exciting. And I, I feel like it's one of those books going to take me a few weeks to read because it's one of those books you want to sit with it, sit with the words and think about it. And so I am very excited. Uh, coming out in June, it is Sorrowland by River Solomon. All right. So on that note, um, that is our first batch of books that we are looking forward to reading in the next few months. Please join us next week for our second round of books that we're looking forward to. We have more, many more to share. Um, so we hope you will join us and uh, we will see you next week and have a great afternoon. Enjoy the sun um, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.